Senate Democrats are out with nine new appropriations bills for 2022. Now, yes, we know the fiscal year started three weeks ago, but Congress isn't anywhere near close to finishing the necessary work of funding federal agencies for fiscal 2022. The bills from Senate Democrats would increase civilian spending by 13 percent and defense spending by another 5 percent. The Senate drafts are also silent on a pay raise for federal employees. Federal News Network's Nicole Grisco has been following these bills. She joins me now to explain the path forward for them and next year's pay raise. And of course, Nicole, everybody's favorite radio station is not WFED, but WIIFM, what's in it for me. So why don't we talk about that pay raise? What are the prospects there? So, Tom, the Senate, and we weren't really surprised about this, but Senate Democrats did not choose to include some sort of other pay raise proposal in their appropriations bills. And those bills are still drafts. Um, and they likely will be for some time, which we'll get to later. But Congress has in the past couple of years um, included its own pay raise proposal in the appropriations bill process, which then ultimately you know, turns into an omnibus spending bill. And so the Senate's silence on this topic essentially defers to what the president has already proposed on this topic, which is an average 2.7% pay raise for federal employees. That includes 2.2% across the board raise with an additional 0.5% in locality pay adjustments. House Democrats were also silent on this topic in their versions of these appropriations bills. And so at this point, that proposal that President Biden has already told Congress about is, I would say, all but inevitable, although, you know, nothing is official until the president signs an executive order making it so. And we usually see that around the end of the calendar year. All right. And then the bigger question here is the appropriations bills themselves for fiscal 2022. The Democrats have released their drafts. And what is the prospect? They're just drafts, right? They are just drafts. So just to catch you up quickly, the House has passed nine out of 12 appropriations bills at this point. The Senate hasn't passed any. And so with these nine new bills that they just released, they could choose to go down the process of passing them in the Senate. But I don't think they're going to do that for a big reason which is Congress and the White House haven't figured out their top line spending levels for the year, which is kind of an insane statement to make, considering members of Congress have somehow managed to make decisions about how much they want to spend on individual programs without determining how much they want to spend on the whole thing. And so I think the Senate releasing or Senate Democrats releasing their draft appropriations bills is an attempt to get that process moving. And really, they can't really make any progress on the 2022 budget without setting those top line numbers. So there's usually one for defense and then one for civilian. Now, what the Senate proposed or Senate Democrats proposed ultimately amounts to about a 13 percent increase for civilian agencies and then a 5 percent increase for defense programs, which is actually significant because what the Biden administration was proposing was relatively flat spending levels for DOD. And so I think ultimately what will happen next is hopefully Congress and the White House will start to come up with a top line overall numbers for defense and civilian. And then House and Senate appropriators can begin making those decisions about how much they want to spend underneath that for each individual agency program. We're speaking with Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco, and that's the frustrating aspect of all of this, I think, for agencies trying to do planning, because 
by statute, you know, they're supposed to have the top line spending for the ensuing fiscal year pretty much wrapped up 18 months in advance. And then Congress is supposed to do its thing for six months and bang on October 1st, ready to go. And they're still thinking about priorities and I guess it's just the politics that come into this. What else do we need to know about the Senate proposals? So, Tom, I real quickly before we get to that, I should say that, of course, there is a deadline associated with all of this, and that is December 3rd. That is uh, the date in, on which the current continuing resolution will expire. And so... Ideally, Congress would accomplish all of this work before then and would pass probably likely some sort of omnibus spending bill. Not sure if they're going to make that deadline. They might need to pass some sort of other short-term continuing resolution. Um, The chairman of the Senate Appropriations Committee, Patrick Leahy, said what we don't want is a full-year continuing resolution. Of course, that's a possibility if they can't get this work done. But as far as what else is in some of these draft proposals from the Senate Democrats, you know, a lot of it is what you would expect. Big funding increases for agencies like the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, NIH, a $2.4 billion investment in a new research arm that the White House wants to stand up called ARPA-H. More money, significantly more money for the IRS, about $1.6 billion more over the previous year's funding. And that's also in line with what the the president has suggested. A couple of other items that I'll note that are important to federal employees in this space. So the Senate proposal actually does not include any funding for the Technology Modernization Fund. That's different from the House proposal and different from what the White House wants to see, which is at least $25 million or so, although agencies do have and or did get a significant investment through the American Rescue Plan. That was about a billion dollars. It was. And of course, they're still determining how they're going to spend that money. So maybe, you know, the exclusion here isn't so surprising. I'll also note, Tom, you know, $200 million in the Senate proposal for electrifying the federal fleet. That's another Biden administration proposal. And, you know, notably a provision in here, I believe from Senator, Maryland Senator Chris Van Hollen, who oversees this this subcommittee and the Appropriations Committee, is some language that essentially tells the General Services Administration and FBI to get their act together on a new FBI headquarters building They want a plan, a final plan about where that building will be. And for individuals like Senator Van Hollen, the hope is that it is in the national capital region and in Maryland. Wow. So some old things, some new things. But I think like electric cars, a lot of the stuff starts out fast but doesn't go very far. Federal News Network's Nicola Grisco, thanks so much. Thanks, Tom. Check out her story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. 
You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style, and how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, It's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about but that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it. Um, From Sea to the C-Suite, fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Um, absolutely. Um, What I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance in some cases and 
without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, And I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And and, uh, I've learned a lot, both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I I would like to add one thing, if I could, Shane. Um, During my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. What makes Wayne State the college of choice? With over 130 programs of study, it's the smart choice. With more opportunities to help define your future, it's the bold choice. With high-quality, hands-on learning that will transform you into a career-ready, in-demand graduate. And as the region's lowest-cost bachelor's degree, it's the affordable choice, including scholarship opportunities available to everyone. See why more students make Wayne State College their first choice. Get started at explorewaynestatecollege.com. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. 
Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online.